Chapter Nineteen of Mothering on Perilous by Lucy Furman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nineteen: Christmas and Danger. Wednesday afternoon, Christmas Day. No time to catch one's breath for ten days. Now the festivities are over. First came the tree last night. It was an exciting time, as all of us, teachers, children, and parents from miles around, dressed in our best, sat waiting. The sole blot on my happiness being that just as the curtain was drawn back, revealing the splendid spruce-pine hemlock, with its gleaming candles, strings of popcorn and holly berries, and mysterious packages tied and banked around, my Philip, having successfully eluded me beforehand, stepped out on the platform, with a dirty face, tousled hair, soiled shirt, galluses fastened by one nail, and a large hole in the seat of his breeches, to hand the gifts to Santa Claus for distribution. Then, before daylight this morning, came the boys' carols, sung through halls and stairways of the big house, and down through the village street, awakening the valley with glad tidings. And finally, the great moment after breakfast, when our resident children were turned into the library, where on a fireboard, extended for the occasion across two sides of the room, hung seventy gay stockings. Great was the joy of little and big girls, many of whom had never beheld a doll before, over the pretty poppets in the tops of their stockings. Great, though quieter, the pleasure of the boys in store marbles, balls and knives, not to mention candy and orange apples. But greatest was the happiness of little Irie, the pure scholar, as, after gazing long and wonderingly at the large picture beneath his stocking, he at last clasped it rapturously to his heart, crying, Me and Ma, I got my Ma back again. I knew he would recognize it. My own stocking, too, held its treasures, ten sticks of candy from Nucky, a little poke of brown sugar and crackers, greatest luxury known to mountain children, from Killis, a walnut penholder from Philip, a fine apple all the way from Rakeshin, and treasured for weeks for the purpose, from Irie, a red flannel pincushion from Jason. Then came the painful moment when I saw my boys scatter to their homes, even Jason, who has no home, went for a week with Keats and Hen. Again, I begged Killis not to get the boys drunk when they visit him Saturday, but he would make no promise. Last of all, and most reluctantly, I bade Nucky good-bye. I fear and dread the events that this Christmas season may bring to pass on Trigger. With one accord, the boys prophesy bloody doings there. I would keep him back if I could. But nothing can prevent his going. And now I shall have a much-needed rest, and a chance to catch up on magazines and books laid away for five months. Bedtime The day has been ages long. I cannot read or rest. The old loneliness is all back upon me again. Why did I let all the boys go? And how am I to face the ten days of their absence? The silence is awful. I would give the world to hear the dozen pairs of shoes come thundering across the little bridge and into the cottage, the shrill voices raised in play or song, or even a fight. Thursday night. 
my joy may be imagined when as i started to breakfast this morning i saw jason climbing over the big gate to my pleased inquiries as to the cause of his return he finally murmured with a pretty bashfulness i were homesick for you my darling child i cried hugging him very hard then we went to the village and bought all the goodies he felt able to eat and all day i have sat on the floor playing marbles with him if i did not have killis's party and nucky's danger to worry over i should be quite happy as it is a sense of foreboding oppresses me when this evening i saw a splendid moon almost full hung over the wooded mountain to the east my fears were quickened saturday morning all thursday yesterday and last night i worried and could not sleep and my anxiety has now reached a pitch where i must do and no longer think something terrible hangs over me i know not whether it is some casualty to-day at killis's consequent upon the drinking and shooting or something still more dreadful on trigger branch at any rate there is nothing to prevent my riding over to clinch and then if i find all well there going the eight miles farther to nucky's and persuading him to return with me if possible i am just about to set off with jason sunday morning killis's home on clinch we came by way of Nancy's Perilous, passing the Salyer home. Keats was out chopping wood in the snow, and greeted me joyfully. I accepted his invitation to alight for dinner, but before I could get off the nag, he remarked, "'I see you got your little pet up behind you. Did he tell you how come him to leave a Thursday?' "'Yes,' I replied proudly. "'He was homesick for me.' Keats measured Jason with his eye. He's the lionest little devil ever I seed, he said. I'll tell you what made him go. Him and Hiram fit from the time he stepped in the door, and all through supper and off and on all night, and got up before day to start in again. And Hiram he got down and rid him, and Jason he pulled his Christmas knife out of his pocket and jobbed it in Hiram's wrist. And Ma she tuck at her him with a hickory, and he run away. I slid off Mandy, called for another hickory, sternly dragged down my darling child, and gave him not only the punishment he escaped on Thursday, but another on my own account, the bitterness of it being doubled for him when all the Salyers, including Hiram, came out to see it well done. After a hasty dinner we started on again. I could not be satisfied to tarry. Dark pictures rose before me all the way. My dear boys drinking, shooting, maybe killing one another. And I urged Mandy on, scarcely feeling the cold wind that blew down from the snowy mountains. It was past three when I reached the Blair home. Behind it rose a great hollow, filled with dark hemlocks. I gazed up into it with a shudder, remembering it was here that Killis's father died. Mrs. Blair met me at the door, and in answer to my inquiries for the boys, said, They've been in and out all day. Now they're up the branch shooting. Have they been drinking much? I asked. A sight, she answered. Then she continued smiling. But what they've drunk won't hurt em much, I reckon. When Killis come home a Wednesday, he called for several jugs of liquor for the boys a Saturday. And I told him all right, for I don't never deny him nothing. 
but next day peared like he was thoughtful in his mind, and come evening, he said if he had something that weren't pure liquor, but would just sort of cheer the boys, he would give em that to please you. And I recollected there was a barrel of cider left. So this morning before they come, he dragged off a cag of that, and being as it was pretty hard, poured in a couple of gallon of water, so's they wouldn't get too cheered. And all day they've been eating and drinking fit to burst, and then running out to shoot a while, and then filling up again. "'Anybody wounded?' I asked. "'None so far.' Relieved beyond expression, I sank into my chair and gave thanks to God. A little later, Killis ran in the front door. "'I never give them boys nary drap but cider,' he said. "'I done it to please you.' I threw my arms around him. Yes, I even wept. "'And I watered the cider, too,' he continued. Them boys think they are drunk and seeing a right Christmas, but they ain't, but it does em just as much good. The other boys followed, all mine but Nucky. The Salyers and the Atkinses were there, and some neighbor boys, piling up guns and pistols on the beds, and taking another round of pies and cider. Finding they were not at all abashed to see me, I accepted pressing invitations to spend the night and we had a cheerful evening, with picking and singing, until Philip, who has been visiting a boyfriend on Powderhorn, roused all my premonitions again by saying, I went up Trigger to fetch Trojan, but he couldn't come. He said Todd and Dot had give it out they would certainly take the fence and grease their boots with Blant's brains before Christmas was over, and him and Rich was a-keepin' lookout every minute.' All my fears leaped into being again instantly. If I could, I would have started for Trigger then and there. I cannot say how sinister the bright moonlight appeared to me as it streamed in through the chinks in the logs during the night. This morning my panic seems excessive. Still, I am going to Trigger at once with Philip to guide me. End of chapter 19